Can you guys hear me okay from here? Yeah? I go to Sammamish Presbyterian and I was preaching and this woman came up to me and said, oh, you're preaching today. I'm so glad. And I thought that she was thinking that is because I was a good preacher. And she said, I know that when you preach, I'll be able to hear you. And I thought, well, good. I'm glad I'm known for my very loud voice. <laughs> well, it is really good to be here with you guys this morning. It's been a while since I saw all of you. I came, I, I think it was at the very beginning of July and then summer hit us and Dave went out of town and I was in Iowa for seminary purposes, finishing up my Masters of Divinity. And like I shared with you, my name is Tina and I'm working with Dave and with all of you guys in an internship as I prepare for ordination in the Peace USA. I made my way into the Presbyterian Church at the Peace USA later in life because, well, that's a long story, so I'm not going to get into it, but it is really, really good to be here with you guys this morning. And we're here the first week of September. I feel like I blinked and August is over. Do you guys feel that way too a little bit? Goodness, the time seems to be flying. Well, last Friday night, I said goodbye to my son, Lucas, who started college in San Marcos, California. And he has decided that his primary hobby while he studies international business is going to be surfing. Um, he catches the train, I did not send him with a car, for $2.70 and hits the waves just in time to make it back by about 4 p.m. for class. I think honestly what a college life that is going to be. Well, Pastor Dave said that I could preach on whatever I wanted. And uh, that is actually a lot harder than it seems. I hardly know any of you guys. Yeah, I used to live in Bothell, but it's been ages since I spent time here. So I've decided to preach on what I need to hear this morning in the hopes that what I need to hear is similar to what you need to hear. After all, we are human beings and the cavern that separates us is not nearly as big as the bridge that unites us. The second passage of scripture that we are going to read from this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10. Actually, it's 1 through 9. Hear now God's word for you and me. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, son of Shaphan and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Good and gracious God, we are here together this morning to worship you and to also learn from you. With that in mind, we pray together, speak Lord, for we are listening. We look to you. We wait for you as the watchman waits for the morning. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. Well, the primary passage that I want to speak on today is the one in Jeremiah, but I will weave the passage of Acts in toward the end. Before we look at the actual text, let's first set the context of this passage. Where are we in the story of God's people? The southern kingdom of Israel was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you guys remember him from the Daniel and the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He laid a siege to Jerusalem and over time took the nation and then captured a whole bunch of people and made them march in captivity to Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. Now these Israelites are in a foreign land. They are refugees, exiles, outsiders in every way. And they're made to live among the people who destroyed their temple, burned their homes, and took them from their land. According to the text, all this happened because they forgot they were God's people and abandoned the poor, let injustice rule the land, and over time, God had enough and handed them over to their enemies. So in some way or another, they're living out the consequences of years of abandoning their relationship with God. Through various prophets, including Jeremiah, they were told that this was going to happen. So here they are in a foreign land. They've been captured and moved and are now stuck somewhere that they really do not belong. They do not speak the language. They do not share in the traditions of these people. They are foreign and they are seen as inferior and they are the very people of God. But are they the people of God away from Jerusalem? They're in an identity crisis. They're in a moment of profound dysregulation. I like that word, dysregulation. And when we are in moments of dysregulation, we become vulnerable to people's words, to messages. When we are confused, we wonder what God might be trying to say to us. And when things go awry, we look for someone, anyone to tell us what God is doing or where God is in the midst of this. How will God get us out of this mess? 
and some false prophets come around and tell them things that they want to hear, but that are not true. Don't worry, we'll go back soon. Everything is going to be fine. God is on our side and God will free us. And we're headed back to Jerusalem as soon as you can say, hachu. Well, Jeremiah, who's a well-known prophet, sends a letter. And this letter, he tells them everything that they do not really want to hear. He says, settle in, be here. There will be no magical salvation. This is the place that God has brought you. You are not here by accident. And you are not here for five minutes. In verse 10, which we did not read, it says that they will be there for 70 years, the length of an entire life. Whew. And then Jeremiah says, don't listen to the people who tell you otherwise. They are not from God. In fact, I did not send them. God says, settle in. Dwell in the land of your exile. Wow. So I have a sister who lives on the Gold Coast in Australia, and she was diagnosed with MS about 15 years ago. It was a tragic diagnosis. Her doctor said two things that really stuck out to me. The first thing he said was, this is the best time in history to be diagnosed with MS. There is so much research right now. We will find a cure in your lifetime, he said. Hang on, that's been 15 years. But then he also said something that I've long meditated on. He said, as far as I see it, you've got two options. He explained, some people, when they get diagnosed with a chronic disease, go on the disease bandwagon and join every march, every dinner, every fundraiser, and spend their lives in a campaign against that disease. They make it their life story to fight against that disease. Other people, he said, cry, grieve, go through the process of grieving and then quietly accept their story live into it if you will and go about their days with gratitude and humility they just live and learn to live with it my sister of course started crying and said thank you i think i'll go with option b and that is what she's done she went to nursing school, she's raised her three boys and has quietly lived her life with a diagnosis that she did not want and did not plan on. We are most certainly not in the same situation as the Israelite community, are we? I lived for a time in Chile as a foreigner and that was a very unique experience, but here in Bothell and Sammamish and Carnation where I have my home. I'm home. I belong. And I would guess that most of us are in similar situations to mine. But how many of us have stories that have unfolded in ways that are different than what we wanted? 
I have two children and I really wanted four. I'm divorced and I'm remarried. And that part of my story went so different than anything I ever prayed for. Some of my family, like I said, lives across the world and I miss them every single day. None of these things that I mention are war-torn refugee status situations, but each one of these pieces of my story holds pain, heartache, something that didn't go as I'd hoped. And I'm pretty sure that my life is not all that different from yours. Each of us lives with a disappointment, bends in the road that we did not expect, a diagnosis that changed everything, hurts and aches and maybe something of injustice, jobs we didn't expect. The message of Jeremiah that he sends to the exiles is remarkable, counterintuitive in every way, and it's so radically tender. God says to God's people, be here now, build houses, plant gardens, marry your children to the people, pray for the land, which is very much in line with what Jesus said when he said pray for your enemies, because that land was filled with their enemies. Seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you will find your own welfare. So some years ago, like I said, I moved to South America with my family to Temuco, Chile. I went with courage and boldness and a heart for adventure. And when I arrived, everything about my life turned out to be quite different than what I thought that it was. My marriage was not well. The people I trusted most in the world were not who I thought that they were. My dreams shattered and my heart for adventure crumbled beneath the weight of my fractured life. In the first year I was living in Chile, I was lonely, like bone marrow lonely. My daughter Emma started going out to play with the neighbors. And one day she came home and shared that she met a girl named Claudia. They started hanging out all the time. And one day Emma went to Claudia's house and when she returned, she said to me, you should meet her mom, mom. She loves Jesus like you do, but also that other lady. Isn't that other lady? Yeah, Claudia has a picture of her in their house. That other lady. Mary? Yes, Mary, that lady. Well, as God's providence would have it, we did become friends. And Maria Eugenia became to me the very grace and kindness of God. She wrapped me up, brought me into her kitchen, prayed with me, read scriptures with me from her Catholic Bible, <laughs> and became to me a friend at a time in my life when I wondered if God even was. She did love Mary in a very different way than I did. And maybe there was a time in my life when that would have been a problem. But then I needed her love. And Mary was the least of my worries. In both passages of scripture, the Acts passage and the Jeremiah passage, we come to know and understand that wherever we find ourselves, in whatever season of life, whatever era in history, we are not here on accident. 
I was not in that neighborhood in Chile on accident. The God of the universe is over our very place in history. In Jeremiah, God tells the people to root yourselves down and learn to live in a set of circumstances that you did not choose. Find me there, plant gardens. And if you're a gardener, we all know that we do not plant gardens when we're on vacation. We plant gardens where we live. I've built a house and I know that a good house is a house someone hopes will stand for a very long time. In Acts, Paul proclaims that the very place you are is the place God wants you to be so that you might reach out for God, grapple toward God, and perhaps find God. That is to say, wherever you are, you are not here by mistake or just for yourself. There is a city all around you that God wants you to love and serve and tend to. And there is a God who is over and in and through all things and wants to be in relationship with you. And this God self-proclaims as not hard to find. What do we do with our broken dreams, our shattered stories, the things that have not gone the way that we'd hoped? We learn to live with them and discover the grace of God inside of them instead of away from them or in denial of them. What do we do with the neighbors that we don't like? We all have them. We pray for their welfare and begin to see them as the very people of God that God calls by name. What do we do with the changing landscape of our country? The profound political divisions. We pray to the Lord on its behalf. We pray for peace, knowing that in its welfare, we will find our welfare. What do we do with an institutional church no one seems to believe in anymore, with attendance in decline and religious activity at an all-time low? We remember that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We remember that it is not about you or me, but about God's grace. And he will lead us in this new season if we would have ears to hear. We remember that this is our father's world. And though the wrong seemed off so strong, he is the ruler yet. And so as we go into this fall season, as we harvest the fruits and vegetables in our garden, as we drive to Home Depot for those upgrade plans, as we send our kids to school, remember Jeremiah 29. You are not here on accident, nor are you here for your own self-satisfaction. God has you here for a purpose. Seek the welfare of this city. Pray for the people all around you. Be present to God's grace as you move about your lives and stretch out your hands in friendship to those who are around you. For in their welfare, you will find your very own. Amen. Yeah.